Gen Zs have a terrible rep. Some people say they bruise easily, they're entitled, they're spoiled. But in reality, it's not easy growing up in today's ever-changing digital age. They're the first generation to straddle a digital and physical world in their formative years. Welcome to Growing Pains, a podcast by Honey Kids Asia that explores the challenges of modern parenting and provides a safe space for parents to navigate the ever-changing landscape of parenthood. My name is Ange. I'm a mum to two boys, Xavier, who's 11, and Marcel, who is nine. In this episode, we chat with Oyi Chu, mother of two Gen Z daughters, about how she's equipping them for the world. We're going to learn how to let children experience failure, allow them to take risks, and give them the tools to choose their own paths in life by teaching them financial literacy. Hello, Oyi. It's so lovely to have you on the podcast. Thank you for joining us today. It would be great if we started by learning a little about you. My name is Oyi. I'm the CEO of Adex. Addicts is a private markets platform. It's a fintech company based here in Singapore. And, you know, we focus on private market investments. So I guess, you know, a part of financial literacy and this topic will be quite interesting because it does blend in the thinking around uh, work and family. I have two daughters. One is turning or turned 19. Uh, one is turning 17. So they're big girls now. They're sort of in high school and one is going to college. And so I'm in sort of a different stage of parenting, which is quite interesting. Uh, my husband works at Pricewaterhouse. So, you know, we both uh, work and our work obviously takes us quite a lot out of the house. But the girls are obviously at the age where they're very independent but we, you know, try and do holidays together and have a lot of fun conversations about, uh, well, financial literacy and work and, and all of that. What is it like raising two Generation Z daughters? You know, what's quite interesting is how technology has changed, I mean, from the time that we were kids yes. to the time that they are now kids. And that as parents, you're kind of watching that evolution and the technological disruption to parenting mm. and to teenagers who have a different uh, social life and how they experience that. And, and that's just at the social level. At the educational level, what's happening is schools have had to adapt to technology as well. So you all of a sudden see the kids becoming very digitally native. They learn online and, you know, what with home-based learning, they do a lot of that. But in school... Almost everyone's given either an iPad when they're younger or a laptop. Mm. And so having a Gen Z kids actually means that you have to be, or I have to be very conscious of what does that technological disruption do, both in a positive way and a negative way. The second thing is, I, I don't think it's about Gen Z, it's about parents are always a generation behind, right? Uh, you know, whether it's the artists that are current, what kind of songs, what kind of movies, what kind of shows, the same and different. So for example, my younger daughter loves Friends, right? And she's watched that. But yeah, the new, you know, TV series and new characters and Keeping up is important. I mean, not necessarily be quite into it, but understanding where they think, what are the themes, what are what impacts them as Gen Z kids become very important. 
That's true. And also as they get older, it becomes more important to still be in their conversations. And if we can relate to what they're watching or at least know what they're watching, I assume with teenagers, you know, my boys are still a little bit younger. Being able to converse with them on things that they're interested in is also important and understanding their current culture for want of a better way of describing it. Yes, so both my daughters are Swifties. Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> and, uh, well, you know, I was telling my younger daughter, who's a massive, I mean, she sings as well. So she, she's, she's really good at singing. She loves Taylor Swift. Um, and she was in the car. And I, I said to her one day, I said, you know, to my horror, uh, the radio was kind of doing this competition where they were playing a little bit of a Taylor Swift song uh, right mm-hmm. at the beginning. And I said, it shocked me that I knew the song, like when they played that first few seconds. And I said, just the five seconds, I said it was anti-hero. And I, I said to myself, oh no, you know, I've become a Swifty. <laughs> she was so pleased with that. Another label that Gen Z have is that they're the strawberry generation. And for our listeners that don't know what that means, it's a kind of slang way of saying that they bruise easily. Do you agree with this statement and perhaps why or why not? I agree and I disagree. I think there are many reasons why our kids today, we do have a lot of focus on academics And so there are a lot of kids, you know, at the margin, if something's not doing well in school, us as parents, we tend to sacrifice, let's say, for example, sports or the arts, right? Because we're like, okay, we got to give up something to to make this work. So I do think that just focus on academics come up with a lot of unintended consequences. And, you know, sort of being physical, understanding what's out there, you know, how do you build resilience would be quite lacking. And I think that's why the word strawberry is quite commonly used. But having said that, I also think that with my kids, I was quite focused on making sure they were good at a sport. It didn't need to be Singapore top, yeah, Olympic (laughs) level. But it was important they built that discipline in because I think the physical aspect of a sport or, for example, quite early on, I made my older daughter take the bus, the public bus to school. So the idea being that, you know, you're, you're not being driven to school all the time. It's not, you know, so organized and, you know, you just got to deal with public transport and the rain and, and all of that. So I think giving them opportunities to really explore uh, outside what is really a bubble of safety and comfort is uh, going to be important to try and make sure that our kids don't turn out strawberries. Mm-hmm. I think the other thing is also with, you know, we focus a lot on academics. And I think what that um, has resulted in is the kids then find or, or struggle to find a passion. Right. And I think a lot of the energy and the resilience comes from being passionate or being very good at something and wanting to keep at it. Right. If if they're not very good at it or they don't have the exposure to it, then it's very easy to sort of give up at the first go and say, you know, that this doesn't work for me. So there, there are a lot of aspects to the word strawberry that I think we as parents really need to think very hard how we're, build, how we're building resilience and how we're building passion with the kids that we bring up. I also think in terms of self-esteem, if you're good at sport and perhaps not as academically inclined and you're not pushed into the thing that you're good at, it 
and the thing that your parents put value in is the academic side, which is important. And it's, you know, education is really important for all of our children. And we hope that they can access as much learning as they can. But they also need to feel good about what they're doing. And if they're good at something and, and you're not allowing them to give that a go or experience that, as you say, it, in terms of self-esteem, I assume it wouldn't be positive in, in terms of their longer term mental health as well, right? I think a lot of these are self-reinforcing, but it does take time. You can't do it once and then, the, you know, you Absolutely. do have to keep going at it, learn, fail, improve uh, along that. And I do think if you're motivated, you can get maths and you can get English if you're not just naturally gifted in those areas as well. So another thing I know that you have said is that children in Singapore are over-tuitioned and over-coddled and that's not preparing them for the real world. Perhaps elaborate on that for us. I think it's part of the, the same idea here, which is we're, we're, we as parents are very focused on getting them academically on a, on a track, right? They have to be on a track because we think they need to be this, this and this. Mm-hmm. And when they start missing or they start sort of maybe slipping or they, they, they feel like they're not there on certain subjects, our first reaction is to find a tuition teacher, right? And once we get a tuition teacher, what happens is the child at school may or may not need to focus because they know they have a backup. So there's always a reliance on if I don't know how to do this, there's always a backup at home. So intellectually, that means that the child doesn't try to learn and solve the problem. It just says, oh, I have my tuition teacher tomorrow and you know what, she's going to help me solve this problem. So I think that creates a reliance on having, you know, lots of, of backup. And I think we, in doing that, the child doesn't learn how to learn or how to solve problems or how to get it wrong. I think our kids today don't do enough of, they're so scared about getting it wrong. They always have to get it right. And sometimes in getting it wrong is how you learn this is wrong and therefore what is right. So that's actually already a skill set, you know, a life skill. That when you go out to work, you're interacting, it's not always about being that precise 100% score on that math test. It is about how do you walk someone through a problem solving, you know, if you're doing sort of in a logical way and that that interaction, that social interaction is important. I think the other thing is by focusing too much on, you know, on, on the books, kids don't get the opportunity to have social interactions. Like when they play sports and they're competitive or they work in a team, I think all this builds character and builds a lot of the softer skills that we need, even more so today. Because the the balance between the technological disruption that's happening has to be counterbalanced by soft skills and how do us as humans really bring that together and bring that into life? And so sports, I feel, is important. Uh, social interaction is important. All these skill sets come outside of academics. So if we over-tuition them, then we don't leave room for them to play. There needs to be a balance. You've also suggested the shift in mindset needs to start in the education system itself. How do you think it needs to change? I think we need to start to be very thoughtful about the curriculum and the content versus the approach and the learning. Because I think what's happened over time is we've piled up 
on the curriculum without necessarily changing the way it is being taught. Um, you know, I was talking about a, 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 to my team about a professor who said that day that, you know, decades ago, the accounting standards fit into 100 pages, so he could just memorize those. Mm. And, you know, that content would be fully in his head. Today, it's like 1,005 pages, 1,500 pages. So how do you ever like absorb that content? And then, you know, so so then does the learning approach be, become different? And I see those different styles across Singapore schools. I see that across international schools. And I love the way some schools try and move towards the love of learning. I think it's a lot more about engagement in class and asking questions and challenging the, you know, each other and the answers. Less about, I think we need to move away from memorization and rote. Because as I said, there's not enough brain power to mm. capture all that information today. And also as AI and technology improves, we need to be the problem solvers rather than provide answers that are going to be automated at some point or already are and we are just not aware of the technology yet, right? Yes, I think that that's exactly right. And also I think what that's happening is disrupting jobs. Yes. It's automating a lot of even at, you know, entry level, whether it's accounting or legal, we all hear about how a large chunk of that work is being disrupted by AI or machine learning. And so when an individual, when a child goes through the university education, it may well be at the end of that, that job doesn't exist anymore. Mm -hmm. Then therefore, what are the core competencies and the skill sets that our kids should have to really embrace what is the, the new world today? Is the technology piece important or are soft skills important? Like you said, problem solving becomes important, not just about, oh, I can do this because, you know, I have a checklist that used to be important. That We need to think outside the square now. We do. Mm. How can parents encourage their kids to lose and be okay about it? What are some of the ways perhaps that you could give us some tips? I um, tried for a really long time. I mean, I when my daughters, uh, one of them was a little bit sort of struggling a bit with Mandarin, mm. with Chinese. And for a while, I said to her, we sat down and had this conversation. She was quite young. I said, you know, look, it would be good if you kind of um, kept trying um, by and, and sort of figure out how you need to learn. If really there are some spots that we need, let's say some backup or some tutor, then we sort of get there. Mm -hmm. But I don't want to step in with a solution, right? Immediately. Because they do have time. They do have time to learn. And, and so she took some months. We did end up getting a tutor. But she at least for that some months tried, you know, did this, did that. Uh, and we knew exactly where she needed help. And that, that became, you know, easier to support. Uh, similarly, you know, I think sports is a very good representation of that. I mean, academically, sometimes maybe the teachers don't have that kind of space or they may not have that space. And, and of course, I try and encourage that, that failure in, as, in many ways as possible. But sports become a very good way of doing that. One of the things, for example, my one of my daughters, um, you know, had a little bit of an, an accident, so she was injured for quite a long time. And so the, the learning process to come back was something that mentally she had to, you know, get past physiotherapy, you know, start training, start small again, fail, you know, do a competition with half of, of what she could be doing, you know, and just learning to come back. 
And that builds resilience, That builds resilience, yeah. Is it better to over-prepare children for the future or just let them live in the moment and be kids? It's very difficult in this day and age where you feel like you want to arm them with all the tools that they need, but at the same time, they're kids. It comes one time and then it's over. We don't get our youth back. I'm having this debate right now uh, because uh, my 19-year-old is, is uh, you know, sort of in between. She's going to college in, in August yeah. and she's got a, a lot of time. And my instinctive reaction is get a job. Yes. <laughs> my second reaction is, you know, get a, an internship, right? The, the immediate reaction is go get an internship with, you know, insert square bracket, yeah, yeah. law firm or yeah. accounting firm, whatever that is. I did hold myself a little bit back, right? I, I sort of had to rethink what I said. And I said, look, actually, this is a good time for you to, well, first of all, enjoy yourself because you just finished a big ex- exam. Don't take too long. But also look for things maybe that you won't necessarily eventually intern in. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like, um, for example, I said, go work in a cafe, right? Go do something different. And I go be a production assistant in, in a film production company or something that's, sort of out there, you know, you you know, you sort of, it would be something that you could learn a different skill set. doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, an internship at yeah, a, yeah. A, a whatever firm or whatever that is. Your daughter's learnt risk-taking and experienced it from a young age. Can you shed more light on this for our listeners? Well, risk-taking, with one of them in the choice of of subjects in school, I think we did have to let her end up choosing the courses that she wanted to to mm. work on, even though it's necessarily we want. You know how it is, right? You kind of say, "Oh, do certain subjects because you can score well." Do you know what I mean? And we, I think, decided to let her take subjects that were uh, that she was passionate about, but not necessarily easiest yes. to score, mm. right? And so I think you've got to give them that space. I think you've got to give them the ability to think that they can do it. And even if they didn't come out with the desired end result, it's not going to be so far off. Mm. And we could just sort of work with it as opposed to resisting in the first place and not let them take that risk. Was it difficult? I mean, did they want to go and pursue a similar career to you or your husband? No. (laughs) Sadly, no. And was that difficult for the two of you in terms of... Yes, but I think we also have to acknowledge that today, um, these, who knows which roles will, like I said, be available anymore. I think it's, I think we're just kind of got to trust a little bit in the paths of the institution and and where kind of they end up. Hopefully the the skill sets that they build and the competencies that they build are not so narrowly focused that that they don't have much optionality or flexibility coming out of a degree. Mm. Or that they focus on the fact that a degree is just a degree, right? The content is just content. And then what do you do with that? It's uh, probably more important. Mm. But, you know, frankly, uh, you know, if I reflect on it, a lot of my friends didn't come out or at this point still work in the same profession as we did with our degree. And so should we be 
too obsessed about that. Exactly. And so many people, the degree is the foot in the door and then it opens up from there in terms of, particularly if you join certain companies, you can be moved into something that's way outside of your training. So many lawyers end up in compliance or, um, you know, doing something creative or leading tech. It's a step in the door a lot of the time. Yes. As the CEO of AdEx, I know you're involved in finance, investments, wealth management. How do you talk about these things with your daughters? I've had to think quite hard about making it relevant without getting their eyes glazed over. <laughs> so <laughs> it is not easy topic. And, and frankly, actually, even socially, I don't think we, I discuss it enough with my friends. And so it's not just even about my kids' financial literacy. It's sort of generally where do we, where are we ourselves sharing ideas and and bringing that to life? But with girls, I think the most important is not to over technicalize it. Right? The idea is investing is actually part and parcel of our lives. Mm-hmm. It's not something that I'm going to say, oh, you need to be an investment banker to understand investments. It really is about how do you use the money that you save in the most effective way. So I've, I try to simplify that, but then also think about what's the day-to-day topic that can, they can relate to possibly. So it could be, you know, we had a small apartment that we rented out. Is that conversation around rentals, mortgages become part of, let's say, a dinner conversation. It could be something like, oh, you know, rentals are going up. How should we deal with this? You know, the tenant, you know, the cash flows would be better or worse. What 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 does interest rates rise in, in mortgages mean for someone who has an apartment who's taking money for rentals and paying that out. The second is encouraging them to experiment small things. So when they were, one of them was quite young, they wanted to buy these toys and sell them to their friends. So it became a little bit, I think, a little bit of an exercise, maybe a bit a bit too much, but like, okay, <laughs> what are you buying it at? Where are you selling it at? Mm-hmm. Where are you getting the money from? How are you paying off other things, you know? So, so that was another. And then the third thing is just, I mean, because they're older now, I can, I can bring a lot more into the debate, onto the dinner table. Like, hey, you know, we'll talk, you know, we'll talk about Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Uh, what does that mean? How does the world see it? And, you know, sort of debate the pros and cons and sort of interesting topics that they will likely read about or see about even in, at their age and bring that to life. How well prepared are they in terms of their financial futures? Is all this information being um, consumed and and retained? I don't know yet. I think the younger one, I think it's still a little bit further away. Mm. But because, as I mentioned, I'm trying to get the older one to think about getting a job and, you know, uh, making some money and, and, you know, she's got uh, some coaching slots that she is going to start making a little bit more regular Mm. income. And so I said, you know, I think it's about time you looked at uh, different ways of deploying that the cash and not just spend it all on hoodies or, you know, merch and, and all of that. Uh, so she kind of laughed and she said, okay, so we, we kind of both talked about what, you know, some of these micro investments uh, are out there. I mean, it doesn't have to be something sophisticated, no. right? In reality, it's just understanding what's out there for for her investment size, which is very small. And what does that mean? Is it 2%? Is it guaranteed by someone? Is it Sing dollars or US dollars? Do you go to grab or some of these new digital platforms? And so she's a bit on a research at the moment to figure out 
uh, what's interesting and what's out there for her. When we talk about risk, there will be instances where there are losses and mistakes made. How can children learn from these and pick themselves up again? I think it's not just children. I I think it's all of us, right? We we do it all the time. (laughs) I think the best way to learn is to sort of do a lot and in sometimes other words called diversification. And through diversification, when you're investing in certain things, you learn about what the investment or how the investment might react, mm-hmm. right? If, for example, um, you invested in a bond or, or fixed income and it moves with interest rates, then you know what, what happens. Uh, whereas if you don't, then you, you actually don't know what's happening. You never learn and get better at it. Uh, and also diversification provides a good base, right? Because you're not completely invested in one investment or... or all what, in what, one yeah, bucket. All in, I mean, that just doesn't work unless you can 100% predict where that is going to go, right? And so I think getting them to learn and appreciate uh, different investment aspects, whether it's, by the way, uh, kids or even ourselves, I think that's the most important. And to hold on through different cycles so that you also get a sense of, okay, you know, when do you think about uh, managing, you know, uh, selling your stocks or selling your bonds? Should you be trading it or should you be just long-term investing in it? And therefore, then, you know, you kind of think about if I am, let's say, in my 20s, I don't, may not necessarily need as I have different cash flow needs as 20-something versus a 35-year-old that has a young daughter or like a 45-year-old who has a daughter going to college. Mm. Right? So understanding your own cash needs also important in, in planning. So when they're young, they probably you know are just starting off their career and they're just starting to save and they want to actually have amount, a fair amount to spend and save. So they should sort of think about, okay, what are my bite sizes that I could potentially lose all their money? Or what is there that I want to stay safe that I know I can make a, you know, fixed deposit income or, you know, some kind of regular income that's safe? Mm -hmm. Or what am I willing to take risk at? So I think that's a lot of things that the exploratory, there's no real answer just because everyone's risk appetite is is different. Mm -hmm. I feel, for example, men tend to be a bit more, less risk adverse. So they explore riskier assets. Women are, again, very stereotypical, but are generally more risk adverse. So they generally prefer something with a lot more protection. So explore that. Explore that and know what you're comfortable with. And I think that's the best way to learn. How about for our listeners with younger children? How do we start to introduce being good with money or what money is or all of that. How did you start that with your girl? That is actually quite tough these days because, you know, a lot of parents complain and you kind of appreciate that because you don't very seldom use physical notes anymore. No. Even in schools. And so actually the idea of being able to count cash, that's why my kids love Chinese New Year, by the way. Yeah, they're like, you know, they're like very happy counting that that cash. It is harder, you know, because it's all in cards, right? They're e-cards and you just kind of tap it. They don't even look at how much it is. They don't even know how much it costs. Um, So having a more deliberate conversation around those, like, oh, I'm giving you, for example, $2 a day for your allowance. You're only going to get $10, you know. So even when you're spending the card, be aware of how much you're spending and how much is left. I think those are some very, very sort of basic level conversations. But today, again, it's no longer about that. It's just talking about saving, 
is probably not enough. Mm. Uh, maybe the idea is to introduce very, very basic finance concepts. Like what, what is a company? When you own the equity of a company, what happens, right? And you need to talk through what is a business. So very, very basic things I think you can start talking to and applying uh, with kids. And then, you know, hopefully they don't roll their eyes. <laughs> I know hopefully they remember that. Let's let, end the interview with something a bit fun. What are some things that you've learned or picked up from your girls? Well, Taylor Swift being one of them. <laughs> I am a Swifty, yes. <laughs> Antihero is my favourite song. I learn many things from them because I want to sort of learn the world through their lens. Mm. And so I see what they uh, pick up. I have not necessarily like that. How they what kind of new social media they're on. I mean, whether it's TikTok. I was listening to a podcast and they were talking about where the metaverse is really building for this generation and we should understand what they're doing, right? So I, I sort of pick up, uh, so I, you know, I was talking to them about Discord. What does that mean, you know, in terms of the social media uh, evolution? You know, I talk to them about, uh, or I learn from them a lot about uh, where they, you know, for example, my daughter wants to go to the US to study and I've never had that opportunity. So we've both had to learn mm. what it means, uh, what the degree means and how, how do we explore that. Um, I look at the way that they would have to um, take on the world. And you, you kind of want to learn from that because they jump into a world that's so drastically different from ours. Mm -hmm. I feel so sheltered, right? Mm -hmm. That, you know, I want to make sure that I learn from them as well because I think it impacts what we do at, at the company because at Adex was such a young company. We also kind of need to watch what's happening at the Gen Z trends, what's happening and, and how to sort of follow that. Oye, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you, Oye, for our chat today. I am now joined by our podcast producer, Suv, to chat a little about today's episode. Hey, Suv. Hello. So what did you learn from today's episode? I like the bit where Oye talks about learning from her daughters. That's very refreshing to hear. Because I feel like ultimately, it's all about learning from one another, right? I also thought that although I feel it's pretty young to talk to kids about money matters, it's still important. And the way that she talked about it, it makes them understand it a lot better, you know, to, make, to get them equipped with all these things. Better to do it now than later, right? I also think that when you're younger, if you start to learn about money and how to use it and what it means and how to save, it will allow you to do so much more when you're in your 20s and things if you're sensible with your money and what you're able to save. So that was very helpful for sure. Yeah, because uh, for me, I had to learn on my own. My parents didn't explain it to me, so it's a lot of trial and error. So to have your parents go through the steps with you so that you are better equipped with that. I think that's a very important skill to have, especially in today's world where everything is cashless and you're paying by your debit cards. Oh yeah, I feel like you tap everywhere and then at the end of the day go, how much money did yeah, I spend? <laughs> correct. <laughs> so Edge, have you discussed money matters with Xavier and Marcel? We do. I think I could definitely be better and we have started talking about introducing pocket money. I was a little resistant to pocket money because I felt like when you have 
pocket money, then you start to think about how you're going to spend it. Whereas if you're not given any, you're not thinking about spending money. But I also think that you need to learn how to handle money and how to save it and what it can buy. So that's something we're actually just starting to introduce with the boys now. And also we just talk about things like if there's something we have purchased and, you know, that you need to wait a while to buy expensive items and just an understanding that we can't always have whatever we want to eat or have all these treats and things. So we do find ways to talk about money with them, but it is something that I think... I'm going to spend a concerted effort going forward. It's a process. I like that part where you are introducing pocket money because I think if you delay doing that, then I would say it makes them rely on you a lot. But when they learn the value of money, they become more reliant on it and understand it better. That's right. Well... Thanks, Sof. That brings us to the end of today's episode. Thank you for listening and we will see you next time. 